Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. giving out a copy of my sermon notes, but I didn't want anybody to rip them in half when the, uh, when the sermon was over today. Oh, me. <laughs> I'm really excited about our new sermon series. It's called Sweet 16, the biblical story in 16 verses. Came across this idea, I'd like to say it's original, but I, I, I didn't come up with this on my own. I was reading a book uh, with a similar name by a guy named Chris Bruno. When I was in seminary, one of my favorite classes was called Biblical Theology. And uh, you may hear that and say, well, Pastor, isn't, isn't all theology biblical? And I would tell you that that is, uh, that is far from true. Uh, not all theology is created equal. Um, what I like about this idea of biblical theology is that it's, it's really quite simple when we stop and, and boil it down. You know, all theology seeks to try to make some understanding of God, that if we spend time in theology, we, un- we want to understand more about who God is, what he's done, what he's made. Uh, and, and most times when we talk about theology, we, we begin at a topic, and then we work our way back into the Bible. So if we want to talk about the idea of salvation, that's theology that we're all familiar with and comfortable with, but we start with the idea, and they work, then we work ourselves backwards. But what happens when we do biblical theology is that we begin with the Bible, and we work through the Bible's theme to pull out the ideas and and and. And, and context that's there so that we can understand it better. And in my opinion, that's a much better way to go about understanding who God is and what God's done by starting here. Uh, too many times I'm afraid that we start from external sources. We start from what this author says, or we start from what our Sunday school quarterly says, or we, we start from, from what this blog post says, or, or God help us, we start with what someone on Facebook said. Uh, if, if your theology begins with, I saw this on Facebook, put the brakes on quickly because you're about to end, end up in a ditch. Uh, so I think it's a better way to start. So for the next 16 weeks, we're going to be tackling the big ideas that we encounter in Scripture. We're going to go from Genesis to Revelation, and by the end, we're going to have hopefully a complete picture of God's plan of redemption. So I hope you're encouraged along the way. I hope that you learned something along the way. If you miss a week, you can always go back and catch up on the podcast or on the YouTube channel that, uh, that is now live this morning. Uh, and I will say this, that this is a good time to bring friends, to bring your ones, because a lot of this content is going to be very approachable, very accessible, uh, important things for people who perhaps have no biblical knowledge. It's important things for people to begin to understand. Uh, so, uh, so I would encourage you to use this time to, to bring your ones. I've listed in the newsletter what the themes are going to be for each week, so you can already kind of be thinking ahead to what, uh, what next week is going to look like. Uh, so you, you've probably been to sporting events at some times in your life when, well, the refereeing wasn't quite up to par. You've been to those, those, um, those places and times where you wonder if the ref was even paying attention. 
I'll be honest, I have a pretty high level of respect for referees, and I know that's not a popular opinion to have, but I can assure you that if you go referee a, a little child's football game, that you too will gain a whole new level of respect for referees, because if you've ever been on the field, you know that the people on the sidelines know far more than you do about what's happening on the field. And they're happy to let you know about it. I had a dad in a, in a football league, a church football league, get so angry one time. Didn't help that he had hit the, uh, hit the bottle a little bit earlier in the day before the game that we actually had to let the sheriff's deputies take him away from the field. He was so happy to be there. Um, I will say having refereed in those situations that I gained a whole new insight. So I don't complain about referees nearly as loudly as I once did. However... I think we can all agree when a referee misses something, it's frustrating. But I think it's an even whole nother level of frustration when the ref doesn't even appear to know the rules, right? I mean, you've had those experiences where, where the guy's out there and you're thinking, did you even read the rule book? Are we even in the same sport? Uh, you know, why did you give him six points for a free throw? Why, you know, it's, are we even playing the same game here? So... Imagine, however, just walk with me into a fantasy world. Imagine if you were sitting at a high school basketball game. That's not the fantasy part. Imagine that the refereeing wasn't terrible. I know that's, maybe that's hard to do. But for sake of argument, let's just say, let's imagine that you and the referee, maybe you had a different understanding of the concept of what walking is in a basketball game. And as the game wore on, it became very clear that your definition and the referee's definition were, were clearly different. And you finally took all that you could take, and you let your frustration come out of your mouth. I'm sure that's never happened to any of us. But the next thing you know, in the basketball game where you have expressed your frustration, the referee decides that it's time for you to have a personal lesson in refereeing a basketball game. And the next thing you realize that you're standing there and James Naismith is standing there in front of you in a referee jersey. Now, he had to come a long way because he's been dead since 1939. But again, we're in a fantasy world. If you don't know who James Naismith is, he's the guy that invented basketball. He, he wrote the first rule book for the sport of basketball, and he comes over to you, and he proceeds to explain to you the definition of what walking is in a basketball game. If you are wise, and the man who invented the sport is explaining the rules to you at that point in time, the wise person listens to the creator and adjust his definition on the basis of what the Creator has explained to you. If the inventor of the game has explained the rule to you and how to correctly understand the rule, you would, if you were wise, modify your understanding to reflect the intention of the designer. This morning as we kick off this 16-verse study of the Bible, we begin in very much the same way. By meeting the inventor, the designer, the creator of this cosmos and everything in it. And if we are wise, we will listen to what he has to say and rework our understanding to fit his intentions. This morning, let us begin with our creator. 
If you've got your Bible this morning, we're going to be in the book of Genesis, the very first chapter. And though I said we will only be considering 16 verses, I do like to set the context of these verses. And so our reading this morning will take place from chapter 1, verse 27 through verse 31. If you're able, please stand with me as we read God's Word together from Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And here's our verse. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Father, I thank you for your creative work. I thank you for the creation of the heavens and the earth. I thank you for the creation of mankind in your image. And I thank you for setting the rules and the boundaries and establishing things as you have. God, we pray that as we begin this journey through the scriptures, that we may learn and grow and understand your plan that's made clear in the word of God. Lord, help us to consider our creator today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Every good story has a main character. Every good story, every book you've read in literature, every comic book that's ever been read, every movie that has a compelling story always has a main character. And of course, the Bible is no different in this regard. We sometimes think the Bible is a story about our relationship with God, but as the creation story makes clear, the main character in the Bible is God. It makes it very clear from the very beginning because the assumption that is made is that the only thing that exists in, in the, in, I can't even say in creation because it hadn't been created yet, but all that there was before there was anything was God. That's all there was. And God begins, and he begins and introduces himself as the main character of the story. Now again, throughout the first chapter, there's not a lot of details that we have about God. There's, there's not a lot of, of information that we have about his character. But there is enough information present for us to begin to become very informed about our creator. We are immediately, from the beginning of the Word of God, confronted with the reality of who exactly is in charge. You may have heard of that Asian concept of yin and yang. You may have seen that symbol in pop culture references and things like that. That comes from Chinese philosophy. But this, this symbol governs the way many people today think. The idea in this, in this symbol is that the universe is governed by two opposing forces. Some might say good and evil. 
Uh, and we see this sort, of, this sort of thought process worked out in, in lots of different ways. But the idea is that good and evil are constantly in conflict and they're constantly keeping each other in balance. If you're a George Lucas and Star Wars fan, you'll recognize that, that this is almost how the force is, is revealed. That it's, a, that it's, good, it's good and it's, it's bad, it's light and it's dark, and they're constantly vying for, for position. But in order for the cosmos to work, it's got to be kept balanced. That there's got to be light and dark. There's got to be Jedi and Sith. However, this is not the way we are introduced to this in the Word of God. Many Christians even believe in this way, that, that, the, that the universe is governed because there's a God and there's a devil, and that you've got a good God and a bad devil, and they're constantly jockeying for position, and everything's kept in check because there's a good God and an evil devil. But when we understand creation, we need to recognize that the main character of God's story is God, and he has no rivals. There's no sense of, of right and wrong being kept in check because God is, is there's, there's no one like him. There is no one who can, who can come near his authority or near his power. God is unique in that capacity. He is the main character. And when we understand creation, we begin to recognize some things about this creator God. The first thing we understand is that he is infinitely powerful. He is infinitely powerful. When God speaks, things happen. Consider what happens in those six days of creation, and I do believe it's a six literal day of creation. I firmly believe that. Imagine what happens in those six days. God speaks, and, and, and things happen. There's no, there's no delay. There's no question of how it's going to happen. When God speaks those words, those words result in actions. Maybe you've been around someone in a position of authority like that, where they speak and people respond. I remember one time meeting Truett Cathy, the uh, former CEO of Chick-fil-A, who's uh, since gone on to be with the Lord. I was having lunch there at Chick-fil-A headquarters with a couple of men from my church, and after lunch, they gave me a tour of the campus, and they asked me if I wanted to meet Truett Cathy. I have tremendous respect for, for, for Mr. Cathy. Uh, and so when a couple of employees say, you want to meet Mr. Kathy, absolutely. Uh, who, would, who would not take advantage of that opportunity to go meet Truett Kathy? And so I thought, well, but we don't have an appointment. You know, we haven't, we haven't scheduled anything. And, and uh, they said, that's okay, let's go see. So we hop on the elevator and we get off on the executive floor there at their headquarters. And, and it's right in front of his treehouse. His office was called the treehouse because it was on the end of this round building, and, and he was at tree level, and so when he had windows all the way around his office, and when you step into his office, you've got nothing but the view of the trees all the way around, around his office. And so we step off there, and his assistant is right there by his office, and she's happy. She's, you know, she's, she's a, a very kind, gracious person, and uh, the two guys I was with said, you know, we'd like to, we'd like to see Truett. And uh, she said, hold on just a second. So she Picks up the phone, and uh, she says, you know, uh, Mr. Kathy, there's a couple of folks here that would like to see you. And he said, send them in. And I thought, wow, that's it? And so sure enough, we go into his, his big executive office there, the, and he's sitting there at his desk. He stands up, and he greets us, and, and we're kind of chatting there for a little bit. And, and I mean, just, you know, it, like there was nothing else going on on his day except to spend time with two employees and their guests. And so we're talking, and, and uh, 
Truett looks at me and says, would you like a book? Sure. He picks up the phone, and literally within seconds, his assistant is in the room with a book that he signed for me. And he gives it to me. I mean, literally within seconds. There's no, there was no delay. There was no question. There was no uh, which book. I mean, she knew that when he spoke that her job was to, was to respond. And maybe you've seen somebody like that. Maybe, maybe you've been around a boss that's like that. But you think about the fact that somebody like Truett Cathy is just a CEO. Imagine what it would be like if you were sitting in the Oval Office and the president was sitting there, and every time he picked up the phone and used his words, literally life and death were hanging in the balance. If you don't believe me, just ask that Iranian general, right? I mean, think about that. Somebody who, who has that sort of authority that their words result in actions, you know? Uh, no discussion, no conversation. Words equal results. Creation reminds us, though, that when God speaks... He doesn't just move particles around. He doesn't just move material from here to somewhere else. It's not like God spoke a house into being and he had to call Lowe's to get two-by-fours delivered. When God built the house, God built the house from nothing. And so when God's words actually created molecules out of thin air, and it wasn't just one molecule at a time until they were all created. God spoke all the molecules into being. God spoke it all into order right there with just the power of his words. We need to keep this in perspective. Everything that has being came from nothing. Now, we need not be so short-sighted that we think this applies only to the earth I read something. I just said, don't use Facebook for theology. I'm about to do something even worse. I read something on Twitter yesterday. But it was good. It said this. There are two trillion galaxies in the universe that exist for the sole purpose of teaching us theology. Two trillion galaxies in the universe that exist for the sole purpose of teaching us theology. I told you that was good. Step outside tonight if the clouds ever clear and simply look up. In a clear night when there's no parking lot, street lights, you can look up and you can see the bands of the Milky Way extending straight overhead. And I'm of the mindset that God put that there, not so that we could have good movies and, and good shows like Star Wars and Star Trek. I'm convinced that God put that there to show us his glory. I'm convinced that God put that there, not so that he could have new life on some other planet in some other star system. I'm convinced that God put that there because it's just an overflow of how powerful his words are. God spoke and the universe came into order. Yet in the midst of that universe that didn't exist, that as he spoke comes into existence, he takes special care and privilege to create this rock that we call earth, and he begins to take that rock and sculpt it and form it into a place that's the perfect habitation for his creatures designed perfectly in his image. See, when God speaks, we're reminded that he speaks with absolute power. He is infinitely powerful, bringing everything that is from nothing that was. 
And don't miss this. He brought everything into existence without mistakes. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what. It's hard for me to build something. It's hard for me to build anything without messing up along the way. I mean, I don't know if you're like me, but when I begin a project, I go ahead and budget into the project at least two or three extra trips to Home Depot or Lowe's. I mean, there's sometimes that I start the project and I just go not knowing what I need. It's like a scout mission. I'm going to go survey what they've got and then figure out if I can do it or not. And then I'll just plan to go back later. I mean, if I'm going to build something, I'll buy extra lumber because I know I'm going to mess something up along the way. I may do well at the end. It may look good. It may, it may be completed. But when I set out to do something, I'm going to, I'm going to mess something up along the way. But think about this. When God put it together, he put it together with perfection. He put it together with, with perfection in his execution. He was infinitely power, and he is powerful, and he is perfect in his execution of what he builds. God is infinitely powerful. But don't miss this either as we consider this, this idea that God is a creator. He is, his authority is inexhaustible. When God spoke everything into existence, he declared his authority over it. Listen, there is not an atom burning in a supernova in the farthest reaches of the galaxy that is not under his rule. Let me just say this. When human beings exert their will to rebel against God, we had might as well be like gnats trying to escape from a glass jar. We can bounce against the side of it until we have knocked ourselves unconscious. But regardless of how powerful we think we are, there is no way that we ever absolve ourselves from that authority. Now, I absolutely believe that God has created us as morally free creatures. We are free to submit ourselves to the reign and rule of Christ, or we are free to choose to live our lives in opposition to that rule. But that in no way diminishes his authority over us. You see, when God spoke the cosmos into existence, the cosmos came into right and proper submission to his authority. That's why the Bible so frequently alludes to the song of creation. That's why the hymns we sing today so, so eloquently allude to the song of creation. Job chapter 12, verse 7, for instance. Ask the beasts, and they will teach you. The birds of the heavens, and they will tell you. The bushes of the earth, and they will teach you. And the fish of the sea will declare to you. Who among all these does not know what the hand of the Lord has done? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Psalm 95, verses 3 through 5. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountain are his also. And the sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Psalm 96, verses 11 and 12. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest ring for joy. Though we certainly look around our world today and we see that creation suffers 
suffers heavily under the curse, it remains totally and completely under God's authority. Thirdly, creation teaches us that God is the sole judge. Back to our key verse, verse 31. God saw everything that he'd made, and behold, how does he describe it? It's very good. It's very good. Notice what God didn't do. God didn't call together a committee of angels to review the finished product and give it a grade. Now, now, in fact, we don't know exactly when God created the angels in the process. We're not sure. But you can rest assured that when they were made, they probably started worshiping right away because that's what they were designed to do. He didn't call that committee together and say, all right, gang, I finished. Before I can take a nap tomorrow, we need to give this thing a grade. And you got one angel over here that says, oh, Lord, it looks like a C. It's not your best work. One angel over here is trying to brown nose. You know, oh, God, that's great. It's an A+. Plus. That's not what happened. God didn't need a committee to come together to give him a grade. He didn't ask Adam and Eve to weigh in. Hey, guys, what do y'all think about this garden? Pretty nice, right? Isn't this the best garden you've ever seen? Some of y'all get that at lunch. <laughs> he didn't ask for the animals to weigh in. He didn't ask them what their thoughts were. Didn't look at the cows and say, you like the taste of that grass? That's not what he did. He's the sole judge. And when he finished, he looked at everything he had made, and he declared that it was very good. Now, we certainly recognize there are parts of creation that aren't very awe-inspiring. There, there's things we can look around and say, man, that sure is disappointing. What I found is that the parts of creation that are the most disappointing are the parts that we've messed up. The parts of creation that, that leave me the most, most underwhelmed, things like urban blight, a, a litter on the side of the road, smog in a, above a city, it's not things that God did. It's things that we did. It's places that we got our hands involved. I remember being on a mission trip in Jamaica one time, and we were early in our work there, and we were painting a church, but this particular church, they needed to use oil-based paint to, to paint this facility. And there next to the church in this almost tropical-looking jungle, there was this creek that was flowing, and it was so beautiful and pristine in that place. And when it came time to clean up the paint job, the folks that we were working with, we said, okay, they didn't have running water at this facility. And so we said, okay, how do we go about you know, cleaning our brushes. How do we get this, uh, you know, we've got the paint thinner. How do we clean our brushes once we've done that? And they said, oh, we'll just go down to the creek and do it. And I remember seeing them cleaning out dozens of brushes soaked with oil-based paint with paint thinner right there in this stream that was running straight down into the ocean. And I thought to myself, we're killing something down there. We're taking something that God did that was beautiful, and we're absolutely destroying it uh, somewhere along the way. Now, again, I'm not some Greenpeace eco-Nazi that thinks that, uh, thinks that you're not supposed to use creation for, for human flourishing, but I do think there's something about being a good steward of that which God has given us. You know, when God put it all together, it wasn't just good. It wasn't 
okay. It was very good. I'm reminded of those AT&T commercials. You've seen those, right? You know, <laughs> that's not how God did creation. He didn't do his best work here, and yeah, he did okay over there. You know, I'll take extra care here at this Grand Canyon thing because people are going to come there and look at this, but, uh, but you, know, we'll leave, uh, you know, we'll leave Antarctica down there for you know, blank canvas. We'll do something with that later. It's not how he did it. He didn't put the okayest parts here, the good parts here, the very good parts here. He did it all, and it was all very good. Now, that doesn't mean that everything God did was simply pretty or breathtaking. There are certainly things that are pretty and breathtaking. But what it means when God said it's very good, it means that everything he did was doing exactly as it was designed to do. It was functioning at its top capabilities. You see, in God's very good design, the created and the creator were still working in perfect harmony. But today, in this 2020 world, let us not forget this, that creation is still good. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4 says, For everything created by God is good. As Christians, we must continue to acknowledge that God's creation is good. It's not something that we simply throw away or disregard. We should be mindful before we clean our oil-based paintbrushes out in a tropical stream. You see, in God's original mandate, which I've read earlier, God calls mankind to exercise stewardship over creation. This means that Christians ought to be conscientious of this. We ought to be mindful of the fact that God has asked us to be good stewards over his creation. But we shouldn't misunderstand its purpose. Its purpose is to declare the glory of God. Its purpose is to provide for human life, but it's to provide for that life for generation after generation. We cannot make the mistake that is so often made by those on the political left where they see creation as an end unto itself. In reality, creation should always point beyond itself. When we step outside into our parking lot and we look at the sunset over Lookout Mountain, the Lookout Mountain sunset is not the end. As pretty as it is, as breathtaking as it is, as much as it would grieve me if smog were to cover that so that we couldn't see the sunset anymore, that creation is not the end. That is designed to point us to the glory of God. If we see the beauty of the mountains or the majesty of the canyons or the expanse of the oceans or the glory of the heavens, and we miss the one who created those things, then we've made the fatal error that Paul warns about in Romans chapter 1, and we worship the creation rather than the creator. And if you want to know what's wrong in our civilization today, we live in a civilization that has replaced 
the creator with the created. You see, it's important that we don't miss the bigger picture here. When a civilization forgets the creator, then they begin to forget the rules. We're no different than a basketball fan who's sitting in the stands, who's arguing with a referee who knows the rules perfectly, and we make up our own rules. We're no different. And when we replace the creator with the creation, what happens? Well, welcome to America in the 21st century. Boundaries are gone. Order is ignored. It's the very same principle that governs order at the beginning of the book of Judges. If you remember how Judges begins, in those days there was no king in Israel and people did as they pleased. When we today disregard that there is a creator God who sets the rules, who has all authority, who has all power, then we've missed the very fact that there is a creator who's in charge. Not the creation. When you remove creator, you're left with civilizational anarchy. And that's exactly what we've done. In spite of the perception that no one's in charge, the reality is this. God still holds infinite power and ultimate authority. And in his kindness, he is giving mankind the opportunity to seek his face. Peter had declared that God is patient, and his patience is intended to give us an opportunity to repent and to seek him out. Let me say this this morning. If you are here today and you have decided that you're not yet ready to surrender to Jesus, I will say this. You can bow to him today as Savior and submit yourself willingly to his good authority. Or you can bow to him in eternity as judge. You can bow to him today, surrender your life, join him in this great plan of redemption that we're going to be speaking of for the next 15 weeks. Or you can oppose his rule over your life and find yourself sitting in opposition to the one with all power and all authority. I don't know, it seems like a no-brainer to me that if I want somebody on my side, if I want somebody on my team, if I want somebody that adopts me into his family, I sure hope it's the one who's got all authority and all power. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the fact that you are creator. I thank you, God, that you have all authority, that you have all power, that when you speak, things happen, that molecules that don't exist don't just begin to evolve into some other form, God. They come out of nothing, and they create that which you desire. God, we pray that you will help us to constantly be in awe of what you've done and what you've made, but let our awe not stop at the visuals of our created order but God, may they push us and remind us of the one, not, who, uh, not the stars, but the one who created the stars. The one who, by his word, worlds are formed. And the one who, through the greatest act of sacrifice we could imagine, secured our forgiveness and our place in this family. Lord, we pray today that if there's any in our midst who, on this day, if they were honest, they do not have a right relationship with their creator. God would not look at their current status and say that it is very good. 
Instead, he would look at their status today and say, it is, it is in great danger. I pray, God, that today you could help folks who need to, to get their life right with, through, through Jesus today, that they would find their sins forgiven, and they would find a new place in, uh, in the family. God, may we be good stewards of what you've given us. May we care for the earth in which we live, but not because it's an end, but because it's a means. May we constantly see your glory at work in our world. For we pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.